0: Hi, guys, it's Karen. Thank you so much for listening to a new episode of the Bourgeois Bohemian Podcast. As you guys know, the focus of this podcast was to um, introduce the audience to my awesome network of friends who work in a variety of industries. They are experts in all of their fields, and I just really know some cool people overall. And so I wanted to bring them to you guys so we can talk about the things that they specialize in um, and in an effort to make all of us better and for us to... Um, to elevate our lives so today i'm going to be interviewing adam Tolliver. he is a friend of mine from high school we both attended westlake high school in uh in atlanta in southwest atlanta and i always say um southwest atlanta and south fulton really produced a very unique group of people um if you know anybody who is originally from atlanta you know they are are like no one else and uh, Westlake in particular produced just some awesome, really highly intelligent, creative, athletically talented, um, brilliant minds. And Adam is one of them. Um, on top of being really smart, um, I, I think that he is just one of the best people that I know. He has such a good heart and such a patient, calm, kind manner um, and a sense of integrity. And, um, high morals and so i can think of nobody better to talk about the subject of money than adam so that's who we're going to talk to so y'all just hang out for a minute and uh we'll be right back hey guys it's karen and uh, i want to thank you for joining us on the new episode of the podcast i am sitting here with adam Tolliver, my good friend adam Tolliver. He is a financial advisor with New York Life, and we're going to talk about money, which is a topic I know that is really important to me. I'm trying to get myself together, and uh, hopefully we'll learn a lot. So I'm just going to let Adam introduce himself, and then we're going to ask him all about what's going on in financial services right now.
1: Cool. Well, thank you, Karen, for having me. I'm very excited to be here and talk to you and talk to your your lovely audience. Um, like she said i am an advisor with new york life i've been in financial services for about three and a half years now um and it is something that i am deeply deeply passionate about especially in uh, our community um and so it's an honor and a privilege to be here and it's an honor and a privilege to do what i do so
0: awesome okay so um i will be honest before you became a financial advisor, mm-hmm. and before I actually had the occasion to work in financial services, I worked for RBC Wealth Management for two years. Um, I didn't really trust financial advisors. Understandable. <laughs> I thought, first of all, I thought that they weren't for people like me because I wasn't rich. Understandable. And I felt like the services would be expensive, too expensive for me to afford. Also understandable. And um, a lot of it, some some people. Mm-hmm. Um, are part of like some of these companies that feel a little bit more scammy. Right. Also, And I've been, lot of, these are of the listeners have had that experience. Yes. So, um, so what do you do as a financial advisor? What does a financial advisor actually do for their clients? Mm-hmm. And what's your take on maybe some experiences people have had? Sure.
1: Us? So I'm really glad that you brought that up, um, because it can be a little scary and a little intimidating. Um, as an individual, if you are from a family that didn't necessarily talk about money that way, if you don't have any experience working with an advisor um, or any type of professional, it can be... And, and money is one of those subjects where it's a lot deeper than money. It is. It always is. And so there's there's emotion tied to it. There's history. There's um, behavior, habits. All of those things come into it. And there can be a little bit of shame and embarrassment. So finding the right person to sit down with can be very difficult. Knowing what to look for, knowing the different types of advisors, all of those things are things that are sort of barriers that that allow people to say, ah, maybe I, I shouldn't. And you mm-hmm. touched on a couple um, that have to do with, you know, do I even make enough money? Do I even have enough money to talk to an advisor? Mm-hmm. And so, um, part, of, part of that has to do with the different types of advisors that are out there and what you really want to be familiar with is that some people um, will work with middle market um, and a good place to start with middle market and getting your finances in order is number one your bank your primary bank sitting down with a banker um, but also life insurance agents because life insurance agents um, work with middle market now when people think about financial advisors typically the first thought is something like An independent advisor who has their own firm or someone who works for like an Edward Jones or Charles Schwab. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are different models a little bit. So let me back up a little and talk about, I started as an advisor through New York Life as a life insurance agent. Um, Then I got my securities licenses to help people with investments as well. And as I continue to grow in my practice and my firm, I'll, I'll gain a couple of more licenses that allow me to do a little bit more. Um, And so, the difference is that because of my compensation model, I'm able to work with middle market people who don't necessarily come with a lot of money. Okay. Um, And so, what you want to keep in mind is some of the places that you go to will have sort of a minimum amount of investable assets. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what people are usually thinking about when they think, I, you know, I don't have enough money to talk to an advisor. Right. Because traditionally, if you're going to, like, a wirehouse like a Merrill Lynch, um, you know, they're not they're not going to make a lot of money if you don't show up without a half million dollars to start investing right now. Right. And so, typically, if you go to somewhere like that, they'll give you an 800 number to put your, your $5,000. Right. And, and let's be completely honest. Some people don't have $5,000 to invest
0: right, right now. And they don't so, have that.
1: Um, the good thing about working with someone who is in middle market, if you're working with a banker, someone at Wells Fargo, someone at SunTrust, someone at Bank of America, wherever it is, if you're working with an insurance agent, someone at New York Life, someone at Northwestern Mutual or Prudential, um, they can their their wheelhouse is if you're comfortable putting away 100, 150, 200 dollars a month, that puts food on their table. And so, they're very attentive to you because you're their bread and butter. You are middle market people who are just putting money away. Right. Not showing up with the big checks to write, but just starting to put money away on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where I started.
0: Okay.
1: And so, um, and so, when you... And people don't always think of life insurance agents as financial advisors, but they are financial services. Yeah, I services. wouldn't have necessarily... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so life insurance agents are financial services professionals. And typically, if they aren't already, they'll be securities licensed soon. Okay. Um, and so, they will assist in retirement planning, life insurance, mutual funds, etc.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. So, what about people who need help with basic things like budgeting? Mm-hmm. Where, where do you kind of fit into that? Do you even offer that type of service? Or where should they go to get it?
1: I, I do. Um, and it's, that's not something that is a a traditional service with what I do, but I bring it into my planning because the more prepared my clients are, the better clients they'll be for me. Right. Um, and so budgeting is one of those fundamentals. Um, and, and quite frankly, if, if it's a basic, if you're not on top of your budgeting, it's going to be really difficult to be a consistent saver or investor. That's, you know, that's,
0: yeah, I feel like that's one of the building blocks. You have to get that under control. It
1: absolutely is. And, and, um, and I'm sure we'll get to this in, in a few, but one of the main reasons people typically think about, well, when I want to grow my money, they're, they're thinking about investments and they're thinking flashy, like, well, where do I put my money to make it double and right. do this and tri- do backflips, whatever the hell people think their mm-hmm. money's supposed to do. Um, but the fact of the matter is most people lose their money in investments because they can't afford to leave their money in the market because right. they aren't saving properly. And so if you don't have enough money in your savings, as soon as something goes sideways in your day-to-day life, you're going to reach into the market yeah. and take your money you're gonna out.
0: You're going to sell the mutual funds. Exactly.
1: Yep. Or if something goes sideways in the market and it sneezes and it goes south, you're you going to take scared. your money out. And logically, people know that you need to uh, buy low, sell high. Right. But when you take your money out of the market when it's not doing well, you just sold low. Right. And that's the
0: Absolutely. And so
1: your emotions actually run counterintuitive to the way the market works. So that's budgeting, making sure that people are saving, have those building blocks in place. I I always ask my clients this question and it sounds it sounds like you're trying people's intelligence when you ask them this, but if you're going to build a house, are you going to start with the roof or the foundation first? Right everyone knows to start with the foundation foundation. but with with money for whatever reason people have this idea well I need to be investing it's like but if you're not saving you're Mm -hmm. building a roof without a foundation Mm -hmm. and so that that's really budgeting is definitely part of that process making sure that you know what's coming in what's going out
0: so so you think budgeting saving then investing absolutely absolutely okay
1: and depending on where you are, you know, most people are sort of middle of the road. Like they do okay saving. Maybe they could do better. Um, but budgeting, typically, when someone puts down on paper what they've been spending and where it's been going, that's step one where the light bulb goes off. Yeah, and it's like, dang, I've been blowing that scary. much money. Yeah, <laughs> it, well, it it is, and I I compare it. I really compare it to going to the doctor to get a checkup. Mm-hmm. It's like most people you don't want to go. You know, Mm-mm. if I think I'm fine, so I, I must be fine. Yeah, so I'm not going. Nothing's look. falling off you. Yeah. Right, but I can't tell you how often I sit down with people and I show them what they've been spending. When I show them how much they've earned over the last fifteen, twenty years, yeah. and they're like, "I made that much money. I gave away that much. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so once you know. It's easier to start to correct that behavior and realize, like, dang, I've really been letting a lot slip through my fingers. And so that's, like, step one to really make. And like we said, money is always about more than money. When you make that Mm -hmm. mental and emotional shift, it's a lot easier to start getting everything in order.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. So, you kind of answered my question about for the person who just doesn't have very much to start with, mm-hmm. who is not coming with even $10,000, $5,000, mm-hmm. $3,000. Right, right. You think that the best approach is to kind of start with their bank, their bank and the professional in the bank? Mm-hmm. Is that, that would be your advice to them?
1: Everyone needs to have a, a, a pretty good relationship with the banker, um, just because that's who sees your money every day that's who handles your money every day it's your day-to-day spending when things go wrong you need to sit down with your if if anyone is paying fees on their Mm -hmm. on their bank account there's really no reason um and so you either need to find a new bank or you need to talk to your current bank someone in there and get into an account that Mm -hmm. you're not being charged on um and so like just having that relationship in order that's number one you want to be an efficient banker um that's where your money is every day. Um, And then beyond that, just the basics, like we said, getting a budget in order. um, Once you know what you can afford to start putting aside, uh, you can really start to work towards some actual goals instead of just sort of hoping, well, you know, at the end of the year, I hope I got this much left or, you know? And so, um, so yeah, that, that's, that's what I would say about that is, is really getting a grasp of like those basic relationships with people, where you already do your business with your money. Okay. Um, and then when it comes to finding an advisor, there are just certain things that you want to look for. Um, number one, if they're securities licensed, you want to look them up on BrokerCheck, on FINRA, um, just to see if they have any outstanding complaints. You want to ask them, um, and then regardless of what answer they give you, you want to double, double check. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because that's going to tell you a lot about, like, yeah. you, so you going to lie to my face when I can literally just type your name in. and yeah. So, so you want to check on that. Um, and preferably, you really want to work with someone that you that you have some sort of um, some sort of personal or professional reference to. And that can be difficult if you if you don't know anyone. But, at you know, we we live in an age where if you need to find somebody, you can. So go on Facebook, make a status, uh, make a little note on Instagram, tweet, whatever you got to do to say, hey, does anyone know? a a good professional that I can trust, that I can sit down with. And you may sit down with someone and they may not be the right fit, but you can sit down with the professional for free to get a feel for them, see how their process works and find out whether or not it works for you. Mm -hmm. And so not all financial advisors or professionals are fee-based. So it may not cost you anything to work with them. It just depends on um what part of the industry they're coming from
0: okay so that's what I was going to ask what are you know one or two good questions that you should be asking a financial what if you just don't know and yeah. you don't know what you don't know what absolutely. should what should they be asking when they're sitting down with somebody absolutely
1: so um out of the gate I would ask how you get paid okay. um because you want to know you if you have an understanding of that you can also be mindful of when they're making recommendations to you, yeah. make sure that those recommendations um, don't just suit them, but right. they suit you.
0: What's the motivation? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And so um, you want to be aware of that. You want to ask them maybe um, who, their, who their main competitors are. Um, you want to ask them how long they've been in the business um, because, because it is a very high turnover business. Financial mm-hmm. services is very competitive, very difficult and so there may be people who have a high passion for it who have even a high aptitude for it, but you can sit down with them and they may not be there in the next, you know, six yeah, months. Yeah,
0: I remember that.
1: Mm-hmm. And so um, so you want to ask them how long they've been in, how long they plan to stay in, if they have a contingency plan. And you want to pay attention to what, um, what type of institution or companies they're affiliated with. Because even if there's a chance that they may leave if they're with a reputable company you know that you can call that company and get reassigned yeah. to someone who maybe has been there for a, a long a little while longer right um and so that those are those are some of the things that I would
0: consider okay mm. okay that's really good advice too okay great so are there any books resources or apps or anything like that that you would recommend to people who want to either begin learning about finances or those who maybe know a little bit and want to step their game up to the next level? Sure.
1: So um, I would start. um, One of the main barriers to people getting involved in learning more about finances is that it's sort of like a foreign language. It's like half the time they don't even know what certain terms mean. Stocks, bonds, etc. So um, investopedia.com It's Wikipedia Mm -hmm. for um, financial terms. And so any financial term that you ever come across, you can plug it into Investopedia. And there are there's, of course, a full definition description, but there's also outside resources. So you can get some ideas, better ideas of what it means and how it may or may not be applicable to you. So that's one. Um, Going back to our conversation about budgeting, I think everyone um, can benefit from having or using um, an app like Mint. Or you can just go to the website, mint.com. Um, and that's just the basics of tracking your money and seeing how it's spending. So it's a free service that will um, keep track of where you're spending your money each month. And um, it's just a good way to sort of track your behavior and see where you need to cut back. Uh, most of the time, people kind of know where they need to cut back. Mm-hmm. But um, being able to see it, again, there's something psychologically about seeing where your money is going that can really give you a reality check. So I would recommend that. Um, As far as books to read, I would definitely go um, with The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley. Um, He passed away a couple years ago, but he's got several books. And essentially what he did was study wealthy people. Um, And uh, he worked at the University of Georgia and uh, very prominent in his field. Some of some of the most popular books ever written on the super wealthy of America and their habits and the way that they um, accumulate their wealth Mm -hmm. Um, and and what he's really good at is making the, making the distinction between people who are high earners and people who are builders of wealth. Wealthy. Because they are not all the same. No. Um, and so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's good for a uh, perspective shift for people who really want to learn how to build wealth. Um, so the millionaire, the millionaire next door, Thomas Stanley. Um, and then of course, after you read that, you can sort of start to delve into some of his other books and see if they're, they're relevant to you. Um, and then as far as specifically keeping up with investment news, or if you ever come across, um, if you ever come across a particular stock or a particular mutual fund that you want some third party cold hard information on, as opposed to just listening to what, um, if you're working with an advisor and you're not really sure, you just want to sort of cross-reference Morningstar.com. That's all one word, Morningstar.com. That's a great place to go um, where you can check the historical performance of any stocks, any mutual funds, um, and companies, fund managers. All of that stuff
0: is available at Morningstar.com. Okay. Awesome. All right. So, all right. In the black community, um, we have an issue sometimes with being underinsured Mm -hmm. Um, Especially around life insurance Mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, Jokes, social media jokes Made about GoFundMe being the new Insurance plan for people Fish
1: fries and
0: GoFundMe Um, And truthfully I had to do one for a friend this week Um, Their child died Unexpectedly Their adult child died unexpectedly Mm -hmm. Uninsured and uh, had to raise money To pay for her final expenses So Mm -hmm. can you talk about the importance of life insurance i think people know it's important but can you just drive this home first
1: absolutely um so i i really cannot stress enough just how important having adequate life insurance coverage is um first and foremost understanding what adequate life insurance coverage means and so typically what will happen is I'll speak to someone and I'll ask them about their coverage and they'll assume that they're good because they have coverage through their employer. Mm-hmm. I want to be 100% clear when I say this. It is a wonderful thing if you have coverage through your employer, but it is considered supplemental in about 99% of the cases. Um, your coverage through your employer, first and foremost, is not permanent most of the time. Meaning that if you leave or separate employment, you no longer have coverage. Right. Um, If you and if you think about what that means, even if you work there for 30 years and retire at 60 or 65, if you leave and no longer have coverage and you still have a need for life insurance, it's going to be really expensive to buy at 60 or 65. Yeah. And so um, that's number one with life insurance coverage through your job. Number two is. When you think about what life insurance coverage is is meant to be, it's a replacement of income. So let's give a basic scenario of a two-parent household with a child. If you have a two-parent household and there's two incomes, chances are your lifestyle is built around both incomes. Your mortgage is based on both people being able to help pay that mortgage. The food that you guys eat, the school that the kids go to, the activities that they're engaged in. Your lifestyle financially is built around two incomes. If something happens to one of those incomes, your job is typically going to offer between one and three years on the high end of your salary. So I always let people know that if you have any intention of taking care of your family for more than the next three years, you need to have more than one to three years of your salary covered in life insurance Hmm. because if something happens to you let's let's break that down for a second let's say that you work for an employer you make fifty thousand dollars a year and if something happens to you they'll pay your family one hundred and fifty thousand dollars now let's pay for your funeral Uh so let's say twenty five thousand dollars are gone from that how long is your family going to be able to survive at the exact same lifestyle that they're living now on one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars typically less than three years right and so this the first step I would say is think about life insurance coverage in terms of re- replacement of income not as burial insurance okay right that's, that's a the shift that's the that's the mindset shift not like how much does it take to put me in the ground but how much does it take for my family to sustain themselves Financially, okay, so with black people in particular, uh, I want to talk about the importance of life insurance when it comes to the racial wealth gap. To give a brief understanding of that, uh, the average black household has about seven thousand dollars in total net worth, the average white household has about a hundred and eleven thousand. So we're at about one sixteenth. Um, wealth wise, when it comes to comparison to white people, obviously there's a long history of reasons contributing to that, um, that are beyond our control. So that's going to include things like redlining, of course, slavery, um, any housing discrimination, any education discrimination, all of those things contribute to it. But the number one, most efficient way to create wealth where no wealth existed before is life insurance. So right now, if we don't do anything different, if we continue at the pace we're going, it will take black Americans 228 years to close the racial wealth gap. Life insurance is an opportunity for you to take a little bit of money and create an estate where no, no estate existed before. So to give an example, someone who's 35 years old and healthy could realistically have $1 million in coverage for less than $50 a month. Now, part of this has to do with Black people's history with financial institutions, Black Mm -hmm. people's history with life insurance. Um, To be quite frank, life insurance companies were not hiring African-American representatives to speak to us in our neighborhoods. And so um, there would be a guy who would come through and he would... Sell these debit life insurance policies that were typically just enough to bury someone, mm-hmm. and of course, um, you know our our parents and grandparents, being who they were, they would take advantage of that. Right. But at the time, we're we're talking about you know five thousand dollar policy, ten thousand dollar policy, sometimes one thousand dollar policy, which isn't really enough to create wealth Certainly out of thin not. air, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not the case anymore. We have access. To professionals who can help us build that type of infrastructure in our neighborhoods. And when you think about that, think about life insurance, death benefits are tax free. Um, There's no, there's no limit to how that money can be spent. So if you want to use it to fund the education of two children, one child, if you want to use it to fund the startup of a business, if you want to use it to purchase real estate, whatever it may be. Now, the, the, The question comes in, um, what type of benefit is that for me as someone who's living? And to me, it's twofold. Number one, you have to consider that there are people we sit in the shade today because someone planted seeds in the past. And so it's a matter of sacrifice and duty. Um, I don't, you know, everyone's not religious, but the Bible does say. Um, that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So you really have to be forward thinking and you really have to consider if you are healthy enough and if you have the income that you can take a a slice of that income and really create generational wealth on the strength of a life insurance policy alone. Um, And if that's a more normal practice in the black community, we can really start to chop and dig into That racial wealth gap um one one study suggests that (coughs) white households are about five times as likely to receive some sort of inheritance from the previous generation as black households and that is one of the main reasons that the racial wealth gap is as big as it is is because other communities are not starting off at zero Zero. every generation or in the negative right and so if you're wondering like dang how are these these 23, 24-year-olds buying houses right out of college. Because grandma well,
0: left them money or right. house.
1: Or how are they graduating college with without the ridiculous mountain of debt that they'll be paying off for the next 25 years? It's because they are more likely to receive an inheritance than we are. And that's the reason, um, well, there, there are several reasons, but that's one of the reasons that the return on investment for a college education is less for a black person because it's more expensive. <laughs> right for us to even afford the education in the first place. So, these are these are some of the tools and resources that we need to be more mindful of and take advantage of in the black community. And and a lot of it starts with really finding someone, a professional that we trust that we can sit down with and talk to and not worry about are you taking advantage of me? Should I right. be paying you this much? All of those things and that that is that that onus is a group effort. And making sure that we produce and support those professionals who are working in our community because quite frankly we are few and far between so in the financial services industry um, black financial services professionals financial advisors life insurance agent agents etc make up about eight percent total of of the industry wow. and so um quite frankly we need representation and a lot of that comes to <coughs> Plain old cultural competence. You want to sit down across from someone who understands you, who can relate to you, who can relate to your family, um, and and is really gonna care and be there. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's got a lot to do with it.
0: Okay, cool. All right. So, if there is somebody, given what you just uh, laid on us, which I'm, I just got my mind reeling, to be honest. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to somebody who might be interested in working in financial services
1: so there's uh first and foremost i would say that it um it is highly challenging but also highly rewarding um on a on a personal level and a financial level so there's a lot of potential to make good money in the financial services industry um, but it's also very challenging um and you You have several options to take, um, but one of the things that I wanna talk about that's really cool that a lot of people don't know about, um, and I'm making this plug for the American College, which is an accredited university um, that specifically focuses in the financial services industry. Uh, But they are on a mission to double the amount of African American financial services representatives in the industry and uh, in doing that they are giving full scholarships to earn financial designations like a certified financial planning um, certification um, retirement income certified professional if you're not working in the industry already and you're african-american you can apply to start some of those programs with the american college Um, the other is that really most financial institutions are always recruiting What I would do is take a look at um, some of the different insurance companies, um, New York Life, Northwestern Mutual, Prudential. Um, A lot of people are working with Primerica and I'm not going to bash any um, companies publicly, but I'll just say that you should do your research on um, on different companies and find out what type of training programs they have, what type of support they offer, how diverse is the office? in the particular area that you're working because that's a major thing so you know we're talking about cultural competence and having more black professionals you don't want to walk into an office and be one of one of two african-american people in you know a city like atlanta or charlotte when you know good and well that the city population is much more representative than the office that should give you an idea of the headspace that the leadership is in that office and uh just Not like I said, I'm not going to name anybody in particular, but I I was approached by by a manager of a um, of an office here in Atlanta for a major insurance company. And he was lamenting to me that he was having a hard time recruiting or finding African-Americans who wanted to be in the financial services industry. And I had to call BS because you're in Atlanta and you can't turn anywhere without finding black people who are looking for work
0: everywhere, everywhere, (laughs) looking for work. If you're not
1: hiring black people in Atlanta, you're not hiring. You don't want to hire nobody. Right. Um, and so I would definitely pay attention to the demographics and the makeup of the workforce in an office. If you go on an interview, look around, usually there's, um, there's pictures on the wall and there's people walking the halls and you can tell who's being hired here. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's going to go a long way because you want to know that there are other people um, who have shared interests or shared background who understand where you might be coming from that are working and being successful in that environment. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's the advice that I would give. And then, of course, uh, please reach out to me and ask any questions if you if it's something that that you might be considering. I would be happy to answer any questions at all. So awesome.
0: All right. So, since you offer for them to reach out to you, how can they reach you?
1: So, um, you can find me on Facebook, Adam Tolliver, uh, at Adam Tolliver, N-Y-L. That's N-Y-L, New York Life. Um, you can reach me at A. Tolliver. This is my email address, a a t o l l i v e r at N-Y-L.com. Um, and you can also check my website, Adam Tolliver.com. So, um, I'm available, please reach out please ask me any questions. you can send me a message on Facebook. you can send me an email and I will get back to you promptly so
0: all right thank you so much Adam. I feel like I learned a lot um the little bit that I knew I knew I know I still have a lot more to <laughs> learn so I, I think y'all you gave us some excellent you gave us some action items you gave us some insight and uh, especially in particular talking about the um talking about the importance of African-Americans being in this industry and how it can kind of change the landscape for us. So I just appreciate you so much for sitting here being patient.
1: Well, Karen, I I appreciate you. I thank you for having me on, and I appreciate what you're doing. Just um, sharing valuable information with people in our community is a big deal, so I really, really
0: appreciate it. I'm trying. I'm trying. So thank you so much, and you have a good night.
1: You do the same. All right.